Well, hey, if you're taking notes this morning, I'd have you please write down deliverance in the dirt. Deliverance in the dirt. How many of you know that every miracle of Jesus is actually an invitation? Every miracle that Jesus ever performed or still performs is an invitation to a response. You know, some of the most heartbreaking passages of scripture are actually the ones where Jesus heals somebody and then they just walk away. Because some of us are so satisfied with our miracle that we forget there's a greater miracle ahead of us. You see, I want to I remind you that we know that Jesus healed because of his compassion for people. But at the same time, everything that Christ did on the further side of the cross was with the cross in his sights. See, he was working. I mean, come on. What is a greater miracle? Having your blind eyes opened or having your soul saved for eternity? I would expect eternity. See, I imagine that a person that gets healed and then doesn't say yes to Jesus doesn't really think too much about the healing where they, where, where, where they actually went. I don't think to myself, if I'm not with Jesus, if I'm in hell, I don't think to myself, wow, remember that one time, though, that I got healed by Jesus? Because the greatest miracle is your salvation. In fact, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture. This is Luke 17. This is verses 17 to 19. It says, Jesus asked, and this is... The, the, the backstory to this is that 10 lepers follow Jesus around. Not leopards, lepers. 10 lepers follow Jesus and they, and they cry out that the Messiah would cleanse them. And so Jesus cleanses them and they all run off to go tell the priests so that they can be welcomed back into Jewish society. And only one of them had the forethought to actually go back to Jesus and say, thanks. Imagine, oh my goodness, can you, can you imagine being Jesus and seeing so many people that he, that he heals, that they're so satisfied with their healing, they can't even say thank you. This is what it says, Jesus asked, we're not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Can I remind you how selfish we are for a moment? You know, true or false, if Jesus gave you nothing else, it's worth following him. This is true. But you know the thing I love about God? Is that over and over and over and over, even though he doesn't owe me a thing, he gives me so much to be grateful for, even though I already have the one thing that I should be able to be eternally grateful for. See, God understands our brokenness and our selfishness enough to show his goodness to us in so many ways in the hope that we will recognize that our deepest need isn't healing, it's him. Friend, I got I to tell you, this entire message is about deliverance. It's going to be about healing. But before I even get into that, what I want to tell you is that you don't need healing. You need Jesus. You don't need breakthrough. You need Jesus. It says John, 
chapter eight, verses two to 11. And this is kind of where we're gonna, we're, we're, we're gonna be in this story uh, for the entire sermon. But it says, at dawn, he went to the temple again and all the people were coming to him. He sat down and began to teach them. And then the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. In the law of Moses, or excuse me, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. In essence, what was happening here was that Jesus seems to be known as being more merciful than the law. And so because they couldn't beat him up for his mercy, they were going to try to get him to break the law. I love this next part, though. Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. And then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, probably because they realized they had a lot more sin, you know, just the the span of life. (laughs) Starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Then neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. (laughs) Okay, Jesus. (laughs) You got it. I want you to imagine, actually, just for a moment, the level of fear and shame this woman was experiencing in that moment. Like, it's one thing, it's one thing to, like, get found out. It's an entirely different thing to get, like, found out, found out. I mean, she, they caught her in the very act of adultery. Now, <laughs> have you ever asked, this is, I'm jumping a little bit ahead of myself in this, in this message, but have you ever asked how they caught her in the act? Like, I never really thought about that. I guess in my mind, I was thinking to myself, maybe there's like this secret, like super secret band of Pharisees that just like, just roam around Jerusalem, like waiting to hear people doing it, and then like kicking in doors and being like, hey, are y'all married? <laughs> oh my gosh. But here's, here's what I want to have you understand. And I think we know this. This is probably going to be a duh thing here. But no one wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to cheat cheat on my spouse. Like today's the day. This is it. Nobody wakes up one morning. Nobody wakes up up one morning and says, I'm going to, you know, today is a really great day to smoke meth. Never done it before. Think I should start. No one wakes up one morning. <laughs> Sorry. Nobody wakes up one morning and says, you know, it's, today is a great day to drink my future away. Today is a really, really great day to beat my kids. Today is a really, really great day to be absolutely controlled by anger to the point where I'm an actual danger to my family. Like today is a fantastic day to absolutely torch my life. Nobody does that. How do you get here? How do you get to this moment where you're dragged out into the public square, surrounded by an angry mob determined to kill you? You just walked in that direction and found yourself there. 
The reason I bring that up is because I think sometimes we can have a difficult time identifying with some of these stories because all we see is the miracle. We don't see the mess. All we see is the mercy of Jesus. And so in, in some ways, what we forget about is that these people are just like us. Like, you, the friend, I got to tell you, you need Jesus as much as that half-naked woman that was about to be stoned to death needs Jesus. The story, can I be honest with you, the story actually isn't even really about the woman, it's about Jesus. See, the scripture is a mirror. It doesn't show us all these people we can't identify with. It shows us what we look like. It shows us what we're capable of. And can I tell you why I know this is true? Because even though we're not stoning people to death anymore, the same sins and the same issues that you see in Scripture are the same sins and the same issues that you see in your neighbor, that you see in yourself, that you see in your family. Listen, I've said this like a hundred times, but I'm going to keep saying it until people realize this. The devil is a one-trick pony. He doesn't have to change his tactics because the same old sins will always suffice. The problem isn't knowing what you look like. It's forgetting what Scripture is for. See, seeing yourself or your sin in the story is not as important as seeing what Jesus did in the story. See, here's the big idea this morning. What God is doing is always more important than what you have done. What God is doing is always more important than what you've done. Listen, this passage of scripture has been preached for like a thousand years at least. And can I tell you what the most fascinating point in this entire scripture is? And it's one that you've probably heard every time you've heard this story. What was Jesus writing in the dirt? I mean, I've probably heard a dozen different preachers give me a dozen different interpretations of what Jesus was writing in the dirt, right? Like, you know, you know, you know what it really was, Pastor. It was Jesus writing out the sins of the men, get it? The men that were bringing this woman so they would understand their hypocrisy. Or maybe it was a, you know, Pastor, it was, maybe it was a prophetic word about judgment for those who judge. Maybe that's what it was. Or maybe... Jesus was in a really uncomfortable situation and he wanted people to get their attention off the woman and get it onto him. I have no idea what Jesus was doing. I'm not going to pretend that I do. All I know is that in that moment, it stopped being about the woman and it became about Jesus. I mean, imagine this scene where this woman is literally like they, <laughs> being caught in the act of adultery. They probably weren't as concerned about the fact that they pulled her out of a house half naked to surround her by a crowd, but Jesus was. He was concerned for the woman herself. And can we just stop for a minute and think about kind of what an odd response that was to a question? Like if you came and asked me a question and I just stooped down and started writing in the dirt instead of even acknowledging that you had asked a question. I mean, that's one way to treat people, I guess, you know. It's like even now, we think about this story thousands of years later. I am a lot more concerned about, man, what was Jesus doing in the dirt? 
I'm fascinated by what I don't know. Why is that? It's because what God's doing in the dirt is more important than what we've done in the dark. Listen, there are some people in this room that are absolutely convinced that Jesus can't heal you, can't forgive you, can't set you free. But I got to tell somebody, what God is doing in the dirt is more important than what you've done in the dark. What you've done has no power over what he's doing. There is not a sin that you could commit. There's not a demon that you could allow in. There's not an addiction that you could fall into that God can't deliver you from. I'm going to give a couple of observations from this story, and then I'm actually, um, we're going to run a, um, a testimony video. Because here's the thing, and what I want you to understand about the Bible. The Bible is not a history of what God has done. It's an invitation into what he's doing. You see, Jesus rescued the woman caught in adultery, and he's still doing it. You know, it's, it's really interesting sometimes how... How easy it is for, for, for me to forget that every person has a testimony. And sometimes, you ever, you ever talk to somebody, like you had them over at a small group or they came over to your house and they're just like this wonderful, incredible person who's just all, you know, look joyful and passionate about Jesus. And, and then you hear their story and you're like, oh, wow, he really has been good to you. <laughs> Listen, number one, coping isn't helping. Coping isn't helping. Whole healthy people don't step out on their spouse. Whole healthy people don't fall into addiction. Whole healthy people don't fall into cycles of abuse. Right, so when we think about this woman, you know, oftentimes what we're doing is we're looking at the fruit of her life rather than looking at the root of it. She didn't just trip and fall into some other guy's bed. She made a decision that was probably based on some traumatic experiences in her life. Like, I, I don't know that I've ever met anyone who consistently makes terrible decisions and consistently has problems and issues that doesn't actually have trauma. They're like, no, everything was great in my life. I'm just an idiot. No, most of the time when you talk to people who really get caught, who really end up in, in some really bad places and you really get down to the nitty gritty of their life, the truth is, is that most of them have a lot of trauma. Listen, some of us, when we think about the thing that is holding us back from being obedient to Christ, when we think about the thing that, is, that has kept us bound for years, what we're trying to do is we're trying to, we are trying to manage our coping mechanism. We're trying to manage our mechanism. Can I tell you, managing your mechanism makes about as much sense as trying to manage your electric bill by putting an extra switch on your switch. If you're confused by that analogy, good. Your coping mechanism is what's keeping you from real healing because you keep looking at the fruit and thinking it's the root. You're saying to yourself, Pastor Joel, I'm an alcoholic. Yeah, well, maybe you drink too much, but the reality is, why are you drinking too much? What's the root issue? Because until you get to the issue, you're going to go from mechanism to mechanism to mechanism instead of from glory to glory to glory. Hoping yeah. is not helping you. You know, maybe this woman was in a loveless marriage. Maybe she was abused. You know, something I never really thought about 
is in Jewish culture, most marriages were arranged. And women had no ability to get out of marriages. Like the man could divorce the woman, but the woman couldn't divorce the man. Imagine you got into an arranged marriage with somebody that you didn't ever grow to love. Maybe he hurt you a lot. Maybe he was dismissive. Maybe he was apathetic. Maybe he didn't like you. Listen, husbands, I need you to hear something real quick. Silence and apathy can hurt every bit as badly as mean words. See, we're telling ourselves, well, I just need to watch less porn or drink less or stop watching so much TV or stop getting angry all the time or stop gossiping as much. Listen, your coping mechanism needs to be dealt with, but it's what's on the inside that has to be fixed. And I got to tell somebody that the best way to deal with the fruit is to tear up the root. So I have a, um, I have a fruit tree outside uh, on the other side of my uh, my my garage and one thing that really annoys me about it is that by the end of the season like it hasn't it hasn't gotten to the point it's only it's only a few years old it hasn't quite gotten to the point where the fruit that it bears is actually really good to eat it's like they're like really tiny right and so i don't bother picking it because I don't like the way the fruit tastes. But the problem is, is that because I don't pick it, then all the fruit ends up on the ground, and then I end up complaining about stepping on all these, like, you know, pieces of fruit. It's like, you know, I could, if I was really all that upset about it, instead of complaining about it, what I could do is I could just tear the tree up by the roots. See, so many of us is what we're doing is we're trying to deal with our problems by just continuing to put all this energy into picking things up instead of just identifying, I don't want that fruit anyway, so maybe I should do something more serious about it. Number two, hiding isn't helping. Hiding isn't helping. You know, like I said, something that I'd never really thought about before was how did they catch this woman in the act of adultery? Now, assuming that there wasn't a super secret band of Pharisees kicking doors in, the only thing I could come up with was it's probably been going on for a while and her husband knew about it. And he got tired of it, so he knew where she was going. He knew when she'd be there. And so he brought the Pharisee squad with him. I mean, he might very well have actually been in that group of men that was ready to stone her to death. See, for all we know, this actually might have been going on for years. Friend, I got to tell you that what's done in darkness grows in darkness. Like, some of us, what we're doing is we have all these things that we're, that, that we're using to cope with. We know we want to get out of these cycles, but the, the very thing that brings freedom, we don't want to do because, oh man, man, I don't know what Pastor Joel's going to think of me if I tell him this, or I don't know what the church is going to think of me if I really release this, or I don't know what's going to happen you know, if, you know, if I say this or if I do this. Friend, can I tell you what, what happens if you don't? It's going to get worse. Like, what happens if you don't 
is that it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse until it kills you. It's going to get worse. See, you can hide from me, but you can't hide from you. I mean, you can, you can throw up the best facade that you want to throw up so that people don't see what you don't want them to see, but at the end of the day, it's not me you're hurting, it's you. And listen, I don't tell you this to make you mad at me, I swear. <laughs> I'm not telling you this. I'm not telling you this. Because, you know, I, I like to be the preacher that, you know, that, that throws a gut punch in there every once in a while. I'm telling you this because I want you to be free. I'm telling you this because on the other side of you talking about what's going on, there is a God sitting in the dirt waiting for you. Listen to this. This is James chapter 5, verse 16. It says, therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another so that you may be healed. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Most of the time, addictions and mechanisms lose a ton of their power over you when you are honest about the fact that you have them. When you're willing to say, I have a problem. And by the way, for, for the person in the room that's like, well... I don't struggle with alcohol or drugs, so I guess this, this sermon isn't for me. Friend, can I tell you that anything can be an addiction? Listen, man, some of us are addicted to anger. Like, we don't feel, we don't feel like, you know, like, like it's been a good day if we haven't blown up at somebody at work, okay? Like, some of, us, some of us are addicted to things that we would look at as being culturally acceptable, but they're still keeping you from Jesus, Anything that, is, anything that you have to ask permission from before you obey Christ is an addiction and an idol. Listen, if the punishment for sin is already paid for, when we confess our sins and our failures to one another, we're not asking for judgment. We're asking for another person to be in our corner. Man, if you want help, you're going to have to speak up. And number three... And we're going we're gonna to show a quick video, but I want you to hear this. Getting caught is freedom. Getting caught is freedom. Go ahead and uh, roll that video, Troy. My name is Adrian Bohorquez. Um, I am married to Holly, my beautiful wife. Um, four children, Lainey, Bruce, Walter, and Elsie. Uh, we've been married about 18 years, I think, this year. Um, more or less, what uh, what I think people think of when they think about the woman caught in adultery, right? And someone else's testimony, like mine, is that um, that the testimony is about that. It's about like infidelity or adultery, but um, that wasn't. That's not the outcome of the testimony. So I think that my testimony isn't so much what happened, right? I'm just publicly saying yeah I've done that and I've been there and I've walked through that and we've had that storm my wife and I but that's not the testimony okay so the woman caught in adultery um so really uh I could say that um 
I, I, I can resonate with her in the sense that I definitely was trying to hide things, right? And I was not, and I did get caught up um, in, a, in really embarrassing ways. Um, but I think that in the bigger, the bigger picture uh, for me is when you look at that story, Jesus isn't looking at her and wanting to, um, uh, he's not looking at her and trying to figure out uh, why she did what she did or what, what her problem is or why she's sinning. His, the bigger issue for him is, is that she comes to a point of restoration or that he pulls her, he can offer her um, salvation. He can offer her um, healing and restoration, but it has to come through her acknowledgement that um, it's not about her sin. It's not about her. It's about Jesus Christ and her response to him um, because there's power in that moment when all the Pharisees walk away and he tells her to he tells her to look around who's here to condemn you Jesus isn't looking to condemn and neither is God he's looking to um, he's looking to give us um, like that lifeline because he wants to have a relationship with us and that's really my story is we I made a shift not because of anything that I did, but because God put me in a position where the only thing I could do was seek Him. I could only reach out to Him and be like, Bro, Lord, I got nothing left. I'm like, I'm, I'm depressed, I'm PTSD, I'm blah, 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 blah. That's, and that's what He said. That's not who you are. That's not who you are. This isn't who your family is. This isn't who your kids are going to be, right? And we were able to walk through it because we, because of the blood of Jesus. Like I think that that's one of the things that on a video I was watching is that the cross is about restoring my destiny. It's about restoring my family's destiny. And the only way that happened for me is by the blood of Jesus. I think about my sanctification. This is that process. God took something that the devil was like, I got you, bro. I got you dead to right. You want to know what? That's funny. Because God said, no, I have a plan. I'm going to sanctify these people. I'm going to sanctify this man. And then his family is going to start becoming sanctified. During the process of coming to realize that I like needed God, like I couldn't do it on my own, I, I probably was, I didn't just feel like I was trapped in. I was trapped in. This cycle of coping with things, um, that was not good. I didn't have control. I, I was angry. I was bitter. I, I would actually say the, the trap I got caught in was bitterness. And then it, it bled into everything. Like people don't talk about bitterness very often. They talk about all these other things. But one of the things that really led me to um, like to really negative coping mechanisms, whether it was infidelity or drinking or um at one point I started smoking again. I'm like, what the heck's going on here? But really what got me drawn into those things or trapped in those was bitterness. I was bitter at, um, I don't know if I was bitter. I wasn't bitter at God. I was bitter at people. And as I, when I had that moment, I had a moment in my kitchen with my wife and it was like probably like 3.30 in the morning or something stupid. Um, and that was that moment that like God came to me and was like, it's time, bro. It's time to like, just be honest. And that's when I really felt, even though my, there wasn't a change, 
but I actually got to verbal. I got to confess to my wife. He, you know, I, these are the things I haven't been doing well. I haven't been a good husband. I haven't been a good father. I haven't been a. I got to unpack all that stuff, and at that point, that's when I felt like God, like was like, gave me the life preserver, and was like, here you go, bro. I'm gonna pull you out. I'm gonna rescue you from this, but you like you need to be honest you need to be willing to like unpack those things you need to tell people the truth right um and that's where my testimony again when i said that testimony is not about what i did i was trapped in in, in not understanding what that meant as well and as i the longer more i told my testimony the more i realized that um being rescued means putting the focus on him putting the focus on jesus and what he's done to restore When Adrian and Holly first started going to church here, um, Adrian called me up and he said, Pastor, I, you know, I, I need to talk to you because we really feel like as a family, we want to we dig in here, but I need you to know where I'm coming from. And I mean, you know, in comes this guy who's just full of life. You know, he's just a great dude. And, and he tells me this insane testimony. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, there's these moments where, Holly, you hear these kinds of testimonies. You're like, there is a God. Oh my gosh, right? <laughs> like, this is incredible. But listen, I need you to understand that, that this moment, this moment for the woman that was caught in adultery, it may... <laughs> Have you ever had something going on in your body and you knew you should go to the doctor, but you didn't? Because for whatever reason, there's something in us that's like, I don't want the doctor to judge me. He's a doctor. He works with sickness. This is what he gets paid to do. Some of us are like, man, I don't want to go to Jesus because I'm afraid he'll judge me. He already judged it in his own body for your sake. Listen, I need somebody in the room to know that getting caught is getting free. We are going so far out of our way to hide what we're hiding, whatever it is, that we have forgotten that getting caught is the first step to getting free. I mean, would you rather die of cancer in the dark or have the testimony that God healed me of cancer? What would you prefer? Listen, I have no idea how long this woman got dragged through the streets before she was tossed at Jesus' feet. But it's just like the enemy to be so dumb that he outs you publicly so that he can receive the shame that he tried to put on you. Come on, at the end of this exercise, you know who was really feeling the shame? The Pharisees. And the worst thing... Zach, can I tell you the worst thing that they did? The dumbest thing that they did after all of this is that instead of getting into the dirt with the woman, they got up and left. The dumbest thing that they did was that they kept their shame and they kept their pride and they wore it like a garment rather than saying, Jesus, you're right. (laughs) I may have not been caught in adultery, but I've been caught in all sorts of other things. (sighs) When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men, and only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Then neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on do not sin anymore. Here's the big idea. Getting caught 
may feel like death, but there's deliverance in the dirt. (laughs) I got to say it to this side of the room. Listen, getting caught might feel like death, but there's deliverance in the dirt. Can I tell you the truth? The greatest day of my life was the worst day of my life. It was the day where I finally let go. It was the day that I finally repented. And I can look back on that day now. It was a day, guys, it was a day I almost committed suicide. Yet today, it's the best day of my life. Because it's the day that I stopped trying to get the dirt off myself. And I just got into it with Jesus. Listen, can I tell you that Jesus is not afraid of your sin? He's not scared by your addiction. He's not worried about the outcome. See, so many of us don't go to the Lord because we're afraid of the process. Can I tell you what the process is? You come to the Lord, he delivers you. That's the process. That's the process. The greatest day of your life is the day that you find yourself broken at the feet of Jesus. You know, I'm going to be doing a really brief uh, communion message at our, at our Good Friday service, so I don't want to get, dig too deep into this just yet. But can I tell you that the thief on the cross, the last day of his life was the best day of his life. When he was, when he was hung up next to Jesus and finally met his rescuer, that was the best day of his life. Friend, I'm going to tell you something for the person in the room right now that you're struggling with yourself because you're, you're continuously saying, I just, I've, I've tried so many times or I've tried this or I've tried that. I don't know what people are going to think of me. I don't know what people are going to say about me, friend. Can we stop doing that? Do you want your reputation or do you want freedom? Because sometimes you don't get to have both. Here's what I'm closing up. Man, listen. Sometimes we focus way too much on what we've done. See, the woman that got caught spent her whole life. When you think about this, you know, we've been just talking about that there's a process of finding yourself in that position, right? This woman spent her whole life getting to the feet of Jesus. And in one sentence, he rewrote her story. One. The damage that you feel like you have done to yourself, that you feel like is irreparable, friend, I got to tell you that Jesus can heal it in a moment. You know what really happened here? When the woman got caught, not only did she get free, but she got a new life. Now, I want you to understand, they were going to stone her to death. That was the plan. Like, it was over. Her story over. She's probably, you know, those of us, you know, we, we hear that, that terminology catastrophizing, you know, where you think about all the terrible things that could happen and then they never do. This woman was literally catastrophizing because it was going to happen to her. This, going to Jesus, going to Jesus wasn't like, they weren't going around looking for a woman caught in adultery so they could bring her to Jesus and try to trap him. They brought her to him because they wanted to just use her one more time to do something else for them, and then they were going to stone her. Listen, some of you in the room have been so used and so used and so used and so used by the enemy that he wants you to stay in your shame so he can use you just a little bit more. But can we not fall into his trap one more time? Can we not fall into his plan one more time? And instead of getting up from the dirt and just walking off, can we get into the dirt with Jesus so he can set you free? Man.
You know what one of the most ridiculous statements that I hear on a fairly... Ethan, I'll tell you. One of the most ridiculous statements as a pastor that I hear, God can't forgive me, pastor. You don't know what I've done. (laughs) I mean, there's moments when I hear that question. Dude, I hear it more often than you would think. And there are moments when I I hear that, that I literally want to laugh at people, but I get it. I get it. That's how you feel. But friends about your feelings and the fact of the matter is there is nothing that you have ever done that God cannot forgive nothing are you addicted to porn he can break that do you have cancer he can heal that Are you constantly gossiping? He can break that. Are you demonized? He can break that. Do you have crazy nightmares? He can break that too. From one end of the spectrum to another, God can break and heal and forgive anything that is going on in your life. There is nothing that the blood of Jesus does not cover. Nothing. And can I tell you, all you have to do is get caught all you have to do is get caught and the beauty of it is Jesus has been chasing you down your whole life see there are so many times where we see these like and suddenly moments in scripture but can I tell you that every and suddenly was set up before you were born Every and suddenly in your life was the moment Jesus decided to intervene. House of the Lord, this is an and suddenly moment today. This is an and suddenly moment for you. Can we stand up on our feet real quick? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to call some prayer teams forward and we're going to pray for you. Because I absolutely believe there's deliverance in the room there's wherever jesus is there's deliverance wherever god manifests himself there's freedom where the spirit of the lord is there is freedom and here's how we're gonna we're gonna kind of conclude the service today i'm gonna ask one question and then i'm gonna call you to the altar today okay the first the, the one question i'm gonna ask is do you need jesus man maybe you're here in the room Maybe you're here in the room and you've never made a decision to say yes to Jesus. Maybe you've heard about him. Maybe you've been in church every once in a while. Maybe he's, maybe this is a, a box that you've been checking. Maybe this is a box you've been checking, but this morning is the day where you're like, I, I, I need Jesus in my life. I need him to forgive my sins. I need him to become Lord of my life. If that's you today, or maybe you're in the room and, 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 and your story is I walked away from the Lord. Maybe I walked away because something bad happened in church or a pastor did, did something or my parents did something or, or whatever it is that has caused you to, to walk away from the Lord. Friend, I'm telling you, there's a time to let those, sometimes to be quite honest, very good excuses. There's a, there's a really good time to let those things go and that time is right now. Listen, I can't, I can't tell you why some things happen to you. I feel like I'm prophesying over somebody this morning. I can't tell you why certain things happen to you that cause you to fall out of love with Jesus, but I can tell you that if man caused you to fall out of love with the Lord, push that aside and go to him. 
If you're here in the room this morning and today's your day to say yes to Jesus or to come back to him, I want you to raise your hand today. I want you to raise your hand. I'm going to pray with you. Is there anybody in the house today that today's the day of salvation for you? Come on. Lord, I thank you today. I thank you this morning that you're the God that gets with us in the dirt. That when we throw off all of the other excuses, we get rid of all of the other things, that you are the God that comes into our situation, comes into our circumstance, and sets us free. Jesus, we give all glory to you. All praise and all honor and all adoration to you. In Jesus' name.